One of the most common questions I get from new yoga teachers is, how much should I be talking in a class? Am I talking too much? Am I not talking enough? What should I be saying when I am talking? Should I say this or not say that? These are all questions about cueing, which as I've talked about in past episodes over the years, cueing I think is the most important skill of a yoga teacher, especially in the online world if you're teaching online or offering online things, because everything that a student does is based on everything that you say or don't say, and whether you allow space or don't allow space. And you've probably had this experience yourself or seen this in other students at a yoga class where the teacher is doing their thing, they're teaching the class, and for some reason, students are just not quite following along. Maybe they say to raise your right arm and everybody's mixed up. Half of the people are doing it, half are not. Maybe there's uh, something they're trying to explain and everybody's just looking around, kind of confused. And you start looking around, you're not sure what to do. This all comes down to effective cueing. And this is something I'll be teaching about again in the next Q with Confidence workshop at Quiet Mind at Yoga slash Q with Confidence. I've taught this in the past over the past few years and I've had amazing feedback. But today I'm going to talk about cueing and the phrase of this episode, the title of this is called Death by a Thousand Cues, which is based on that phrase you've probably heard, death by a thousand cuts, right? It's like not always the big things that harm us or overwhelm us or take us down. Sometimes it's just the little things over and over and over again. And as a yoga teacher, all those little things add up a lot and can overwhelm and confuse students. So if you've been on the receiving end of this as a student in a class and like overwhelmed, confused, looking around, not sure what to do, then you know what I'm talking about. If you're a teacher and you've seen this from your students, I would invite you to explore if this is something that resonates with you of like why that might be happening, why the students are not doing what you're trying to tell them to do. It could be on your end of like how you are presenting the information and how you could present it more clearly and effectively. And as a teacher myself, I always start there. Like if the students are not getting it or if they're confused or lost, I start with, well, they're just following my lead. So I must have led them astray at some point. So let me backtrack and see where I went astray and where I can adjust how I do that and help them better understand in the future so we don't have that confusion in future classes. And every time that happens, you get a little better. You learn from it, you improve it, you get it better, and you do it better next time. So here in this episode, I'm just going to talk about some thoughts about this, about why this happens, what you can do instead, and what might be the root of this, which may be... One possible root of this is that as a teacher or, you know, as a student observing a teacher, you may, as a teacher, want to impress the students or maybe you want to share something like really cool. Maybe you're not like egoically trying to impress them, but maybe you learned something in your own practice and it felt amazing and you were doing down dog and you made this slight adjustment and you're just wanting to share that in the class so the students can have that similar kind of amazing realization and experience and opening that you had in your body. That's great. Great place to start, right? And the only issue is like translating that into words that the other person can also embody and experience themselves. So the first part of this equation is that you have embodied it and experienced it yourself. So you know what it feels like. You know what's happening in your body. Then the second part of this equation is you know how to explain that through the anatomy, the energy, whatever the cues are that help point to those things, you know 
what's happening in your body, right? Is it because you externally rotated your arm a certain way and that caused this effect? Is it because you notice the energy in the palm of your hand rising up through your arm? Or maybe you brought awareness to an energy center in the body, right? So whatever the thing is that you have words to communicate it really well. And then the third piece of it is being able to translate that to someone else so that they can experience it and embody it and have words for it as well. And that's somewhere along the way, one of those things might be missing from the equation. Either that you haven't experienced it and embodied it enough to know how to put words to it, or you don't have the words because you don't have the training yet or the experience yet of that language. Like maybe you, like for me, my first few years, I didn't have the anatomy trainings to even know what I was talking about to use anatomical terms like internal and external rotation. So I just wouldn't use them. And I really encourage if you're not fully sure of what anatomical term you're using and what it's pointing to and how it works, just don't use it. Even if it's like, you know, toning your glutes here and you're not sure, like, is that really how that works? Don't say it, right? Wait until you are sure. Maybe talk to a physical therapist or anatomy expert or take anatomy training to fill in those knowledge gaps. And then you are sure, then you can communicate it. And then the third part for teachers comes down to really observing what happens when you say things in a class and like watching your students very closely. Are they getting lost? As again, my approach is always like if they're lost, it's because I am the GPS with the heart. As I talk about, as I've said before, a good teacher is like a GPS with a heart and nobody moves until the teacher says, turn left, step forward, raise your arms, right? So you are guiding them just like a GPS is going to say, turn left, go straight, take the exit, turn right. You know, these kind of very simple things, but as a teacher, we have a heart as well. So we're also compassionate, kind, attentive, listening, observing, and giving feedback and not just being a robot. Uh, so there's somewhere in that equation, you might have misdirected them or maybe over-explained things. And this is where this term really hit me when thinking about this topic was death by a thousand cues. Because I've seen it so many times of teachers, they've, they've got something they're really excited to share, they really want to teach it, whatever the root of it is for them, uh, that may be it. Or maybe they just want to really teach a, a great class and, and they're teaching it. And rather than just say, like, come into down dog, they're going to say 50 steps to get into down dog. And sometimes that's useful. Sometimes that's helpful. And again, you really know by watching the students, by looking around the room, seeing what the impact of those words is. If everybody's slowed down, doing the wrong side, looking around, you probably lost them. And it might take a moment to get them back, but you certainly can, right? It's not the end of the world. If this happens at a moment in the class, just slow down and get back in sync with the students. But if you keep going that way, you could really lose the students. And for me as a student, maybe you've experienced this as well, it can be a really irritating experience. If the teacher is not listening, observing, watching the students and how those words are landing, if everybody's confused and the teacher is just kind of looking up into space, kind of wandering around the room or just on their own mat doing their own thing the whole time and not watching the students, then they're just talking into the, the, the void and... Uh, they're not seeing the impact of those words, then that can be very disconnecting. And I personally just would not go back to that class. And, uh, you know, if the student, if the teacher asks for feedback, I would offer it. But I generally don't just go around offering unsolicited advice to teachers. But if somebody asks, then yeah, I might give that feedback. 
so this is the third part of that whole equation again. It's just that you are seeing the feedback and seeing that it land is landing. And if it's not landing, you adjust course. And this whole idea of like a death by a thousand cues is teachers just giving more and more cues and, oh, they're not getting it. Maybe I'm going to say it five times in a row and more and more and faster and faster. And I think that may be coming potentially something to consider. Maybe that it's the teacher feeling irritated. The teacher is like, oh, they're not getting it. I need to say it again and again, or maybe try saying the same thing again so they get it, uh, rather than just really syncing up and attuning to the students, which may be slowing down and maybe trying a different approach, maybe saying less, maybe doing less, and not overcomplicating things. The thing is, like most students at this point in the history of yoga, the majority of people know the basic poses. So you could say, let's go to cat-cow from any position, and they got it, right? You don't want to live too much space and not give any explanation, but you also don't need to give too much explanation. So it's finding that sweet spot, and a lot of it can come down to just what do you like as a student? If you really like it as a student, then do that, and your students will probably resonate with it. People who like that style will, will come back to your class. Uh, but if you are ever in a class and things are confusing, then you do that same thing. It's probably going to be confusing to students as well. So it's knowing when to say less, when to say more. And a lot of that comes from just watching the students and seeing how it impacts them, how they respond. But sometimes it can be as simple as like, let's come to down dog or let's go to cat cow. And then you might talk about what thing you want to emphasize in the class. And that's what I've talked about in past episodes too is you don't need to try to do too much in a single class. Most students are going to be practicing a lot very regularly. So rather than try to teach all of the yoga in one class, you teach a major theme for that class, maybe one to three themes at most. I generally encourage just one theme for class. So maybe the theme of the class is the awareness of expansion and contraction in the body, something I've used a lot. You can hear in past classes of mine on the Quiet Mind Yoga membership at quietmind.yoga. And expansion and contraction is a very easy theme to work with in a way, at least from my experience and my opinion. Uh, so cat-cow is an example of expanding and contracting through the body. Your breath is an example of expansion and contraction. And we could go into cat-cow. I could say, let's come to hands and knees and move into cat-cow, noticing this effect of expansion on the inhales, contraction on the exhales, into cat pose, and continue with your breath moving at your own pace, right? That simple cue right there, and now students can go with it for the next minute or so or however long, and I can watch and observe and see if somebody's confused, if something's unclear. I can add more nuance to the philosophy of what I'm teaching. I can add more depth to the anatomy of what they're doing. If I see some misalignments, I can speak to those, to the group. And that is one approach to teaching. I'm not saying it's the only or the best way but it gives a lot of space for the students to have their own experience and not need me to narrate everything. And I think some teachers potentially may feel uncomfortable with that space in the class and want to keep talking and keep going. And I know this comes from the Bikram tradition and some teachers who practiced in that and trained in that and move over to other styles of yoga, take that with them. Or in the Bikram tradition, the idea is that it's so hot and so difficult to be in the class that if the teacher stops talking, the students will get tired and sleepy and you need to keep talking aggressively to keep them awake. 
And I personally disagree with that approach and disagree with that in even a heated vinyasa class or even any challenging class. Uh, I think it's a, a disservice to the students and a disrespect to the students that their minds are so uh, wild or <laughs> untamable that they need somebody constantly talking to them. Uh, otherwise, I don't know, they'll, they'll get distracted or... It's kind of treating adults like children in a way and children with poor attention and uh, poor control of their attention, uh, which I think is a disservice and disrespect to the teachers. And I know working with children, I've taught kids yoga many times that it does help to keep the energy moving and keep their attention going throughout the class. But for an adult, I think there's a lot of value and a lot of silence and space in the class when appropriate. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens in the brain, healing processes and memory consolidation and all sorts of uh, skill consolidation that happens in stillness and silence, especially shavasana and in slower moments in a class. So I like to make sure to include those in a class and not just be talking and cueing through the whole thing over their experience. Because rather than having that space to process and digest, it's like uh, if you go to eat and you just continue to eat and eat and eat and eat the whole time and you don't spend any time like breathing or slowing down or pausing, uh, savoring, feeling the effects of the food. You know, you just eat, 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 and then you get out the door and you go on to the next thing. Uh, I think you've got to have time to slow down and savor and digest and process. And that is how the brain works. And a lot of cool modern neuroscience points to this, that we really do benefit from that. And we get better at our practice. Our bodies adapt. We get more fl strong, flexible, and balanced by having that space because the nervous system has time to process the experience and integrate what we've done and the movements we've done uh, so that they become easier next time we do them. So if we don't have that space to process things, then we don't necessarily get the same benefits. And there's not exactly science on that, but that is kind of my understanding from my own experience uh, over several years of practice and just kind of merging with the more recent brain science of how skills are acquired and memories are acquired. So my suggestion for students, if you're in a class and the teacher is talking really fast and giving a thousand cues and you're losing your space in the class, just do what you need to do. Slow down if you need to, do less, skip things, take rest, Whatever you want to do, it's your practice. If the teacher says not to do it, then you don't have to listen to them. They're just a teacher in a class that you paid for. You can leave. You can go to a different class. You could tell them, no, thank you. It's up to you, right? You have choice. And I think it's really important in that environment of a yoga studio, yoga class, yoga practice, that you remember just because they're the teacher does not mean they're the authority over you. They are being lended authority for from you throughout that time to guide and lead and you get it back at the end but you also have it that the whole time during the class so you can step out you can do whatever you want you can listen to your body you don't have to try to keep up if it gets irritating and annoying you could say something to the teacher if you want you could say something to the studio if you want uh, give feedback you know uh, or you could just not come back and that is a form of feedback as well uh, early on in my teaching, uh, I did get some really valuable feedback of things that I was not doing well, and I'm really grateful for that, and I never did those things again. Uh, like one thing was I used to say all the time, like, uh, let's stay here for five more breaths, 
or let's come into this pose for three more breaths. And I still see lots of teachers doing this. And I really, really encourage if you're a teacher, don't do this because everybody breathes differently. And for experienced students, that time of space that you allocated there might be one breath for an experienced student because they've got a big lung capacity. Uh, they're not stressed a lot, strained a lot to do a lot of things because they're just more conditioned to it. But a newer student, it might be more breaths than you allocated. They might do six breaths. Or they might, a uh, more intermediate student that doesn't know, they might try to like force several breaths in there, kind of breaking up their natural rhythm in their body. So as a teacher, uh, for teachers, I really recommend not doing that, not seeing, you know, we're going to stay here for five breaths. Rather than that, you'd say, let's stay here for a few breaths, or let's stay here, let's hold and breathe. Right? I give lots of examples of that in the Cue with Confidence course and how I do that and those are some of the more essential ones that you hear me do a lot in my classes. Uh, but for you as a student, again, if you're in a class and it's not quite working for you, you can give them feedback. Again, I found it really helpful to receive that early on. Uh, a lot of students, most students do not give any sort of constructive feedback. So when a teacher receives it, it's, it's quite rare in general, and it can be quite valuable, really, if it's something that is important for you, feels like it's important for you to say, uh, you know, with kindness, with care and respect to that teacher. And all these things I'm sharing from that same place. It's like, I know teachers take this very seriously, put a lot of training in, put their hearts and souls into this. I care about that a lot. And I also care about yoga as a form being the best it can be for the most people and reaching the most people and just as an industry growing and evolving. And hopefully what I'm sharing in this podcast is contributing to that. So if you are a teacher and you notice students getting lost and you say, raise your right arm and they're all confused and you got to say, raise your right arm, raise your right arm, raise your right arm. I've seen teachers do this. Uh, maybe the issue is not that they are not getting it. Maybe the issue is you're going too fast. You're giving too much information. You know, neurologically, the brain does really well with one task at a time. Raise your right arm and they raise the right arm. Step your right foot forward and they step the right foot forward. And it's step by step. You say it, they, they do it. You say it, they do it. But our brains are not so great at multitasking. And that is sort of the modern Western myth that we can multitask. But what we really do is called switch tasking. And we become less and less effective at it the more challenging and complex and the more tasks that are involved. So when you say raise your right arm externally rotating while you're also bending through your front knee and rooting down through your back, you know, all these cues quickly and all at once and you're rushing through a not rushing but you're going quickly through a class like a vinyasa flow that's a lot of information and then you do that just for one pose and you go to the next pose and the next pose and you've got to have space in there to process digest assimilate right so allow your students space and you can just watch them you'll see just like a gps right the gps doesn't tell you turn left and then you're going to turn right and then you'll keep going forward and while you're turning make sure you put both hands on the steering wheel and turn in a counterclockwise motion you know it gives you all these explanations that you just don't need right but if it's helpful if it's contributing to your theme and your focus of the class then yeah you can add more detail and nuance but if you don't need it you could just say come to down dog vinyasa when you're ready we'll meet back in down dog Step your right foot forward, high lunge. Right? We, don't know, we don't always need to say things like, 
Step your right foot forward, your toes are pointing forward, your knee over your ankle pointing towards your front middle toes, blah, 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 right? You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not always necessary. And in fact, it can be quite detrimental to the experience uh, if it's too much. Same thing, just again, like a GPS. GPS does not tell you a million things. It just says turn right. Uh, it just tells you what you need to know. As a teacher, we add more depth. We add more nuance, more philosophy. Uh, but we also always make sure that it's tracking with the students. And when a GPS says turn right, it doesn't tell you the next step until you've turned right. And then it gives you the next guidance. And it doesn't tell you the next thing until you're there. So I encourage teachers to do the same thing. And students, uh, if this is not happening in your classes, it's not working, you can give teachers feedback. Uh, you could also just find another teacher who does resonate with you. You could also just do your own thing in the class and make it work for you. And if they come over and say something, just say, uh, no, I'm good, right? Uh, it's your practice, your space for you. It's not there, you're not there to appease the teacher, to make them feel good about themselves. Uh, you know, teachers are not here to have their ego stroked. <laughs> We're here to share the teaching of yoga. And it's not a hierarchy anymore like it once was where it was very top down. It's very much uh, student centric. If it's for you, great. If it's not for you, great. You find what it is for you. So hopefully this is helpful in giving some perspective of this common thing I see in classes of teachers talking too much. And, you know, there's the question of not enough, which I'll address on other episodes and in the Q with Confidence workshop. You can join the waitlist for that right now at quietmind.yoga slash Q with Confidence. It's a really cool workshop live on Zoom, done it in the past since 2020 and had great feedback, great turnout, and it's a lot of fun. I think it's one of, the, I think it is the most important skill as a teacher because it is essentially the thing that we are doing in a class. No cues, no yoga class, right? That is what makes a yoga class. You cannot have a class without cueing. So that is the most important skill, and that's why I think this is one of the most important workshops you can take if you are a teacher and if you're a student, this might not be for you, but you may learn some things that uh, will help you understanding the poses and what the teachers might be going for in a pose. But this is more geared for teachers. And you do get continuing education units with the Yoga Alliance if you take the class through me, uh, which it's only through me. <laughs> uh, so quietmind.yoga slash Q with confidence is how you can go in the wait list and more updates on that coming soon. So thank you for listening and hope you have a great week. Look forward to sharing more with you next time on the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast.